When you're an entrepreneur, you have to develop what's called an elevator pitch. That is a description of what your business does and why that can be shared in the length of an elevator ride. But what if there isn't an elevator in your entire town? And what if your business is all about being grounded? We have never had anything that works in that one minute or two minutes. And the joke used to be, here, go read the stack of books. And then let's go grab a beer later. Today, Brad and Amanda Kick, founders of the incomparable, nearly inconceivable, and certainly indescribable nonprofit, Crosshatch. I'm Tommy Andres, and this is Creative Coast. There's an old colloquial expression made famous by Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart back in 1964. He was ruling on a case about indecency, and he said, basically, that while it can be a challenge to define pornography, I quote, know it when I see it. That's sort of the deal with Crosshatch. We explain what we do by pointing at it. Sometimes people come to events and they leave in tears because they've been so thirsty for this kind of community and they just see it happening in front of them. It's the best. It's the best when they cry. The reason Crosshatch is so hard to explain is because it's a cosmic collision of two people with two visions that seem, on the surface at least, to be completely disparate bringing together art and farming. Amanda Kick, then Amanda Jones, grew up in suburban Detroit and left, or should I say fled, to Los Angeles for college. When I left Michigan, I was never coming back. Like, that was never my intention to return. She majored in fine arts, then got a graduate degree in writing. Altogether, I was out there for about eight years. She made friends in the art world, built a community, and figured L.A. would be her forever home. I love the culture in Los Angeles. I love the museums and the art scene, and I made a lot of really good friends there. Meanwhile, Brad Kick studied communications in East Lansing, just a bike ride away from his hometown. By the time I got out of Michigan State, I was chomping at the bit to get out of Michigan. Brad headed west to find his calling. He moved to Austin, then Denver, and just kept going. I didn't and don't speak any other second languages, so I went as far as I could to a place where I knew people still spoke English, and that was New Zealand. And while I was there, got really interested in permaculture and living off-grid, alternative construction techniques, just a lot of this sort of back-to-the-land stuff really got, got in deep to that. After Amanda left for college, her parents bought a cottage up in Bel Air, Michigan a village of around a 1,000 residents, 40 miles north or so of Traverse City. When I was growing up, all of our family vacations were to great national parks, right? Like we went to the Rockies and we went to Banff and we, you know, just like we went to Yosemite. But we didn't, like Northern Michigan wasn't in our travel regimen. And so when they bought the cottage and I came to visit, I was like, oh, this is Michigan? So I fell in love with that piece, you know, of like... Northern Michigan's obvious, amazing beauty. In the summer of 2001, Amanda was getting a little burned out on L.A. She wanted to take a break from the congestion and pollution. And so I asked if I could just kind of hang out at the cottage for like a little while until I got it figured out. And then a year went by and they said, you need to leave our cottage (laughs) And by that time, I was like, no, I like it here. This is this is just my style. Meanwhile, Brad is still a world away when he gets a phone call. And then uh, my grandpa died. And I was in New Zealand. And 
flew home for the funeral and, and on that flight home was thinking about what I was in love with and realized that I could be doing all this work back in Michigan. And so came back to Michigan. I had a friend who was living in Cedar up in Leelanau County. So he kind of helped me make that transition up north. It's so interesting that you sort of both begrudgingly came back to Michigan when you have so deeply embraced it now. Do you think there's something about sort of being older and wiser or just coming to a realization in your life? Like, what what do you think it is that triggers a switch when suddenly you're like, oh, Michigan is actually this wonderful place? Yeah, we talk about that a lot because it seems like Michiganders do this. We know a lot of people who leave Michigan and then come back. And for me, it was, I had to leave home before I knew what home was. So how did these two come together? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's some we can't talk about. But we met online. We met online before it was, you know, apps and all that. I sent her a message and then she just threw herself at me. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. They went to space and back to cross the county line. We were both kind of in transitional moments of, you know, like late 20s, early 30s, trying to kind of figure out what we wanted to be when we grew up. And so we kind of, we did a lot of talking about like, well, like, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? And I really wanted to start an artist residency program. There wasn't any at that time in Northern Michigan. And that seemed like a really great way to bring like all my artist friends from Los Angeles to Northern Michigan. I had no idea what that was. But I had left New Zealand wanting to be an educational center around farming and renewable energy, living off grid, alternative building styles, all of that. So we courted talking about 501c3s and nonprofit structures and mission statements and business plans and all of that. The couple fell in love. And we actually filed the paperwork for Crosshatch and were engaged right around the same time. And got married in 2005. The first event that we organized together was our wedding. And we used the opportunity to purchase like the things that we needed to run events. And that's when they went about wedding their ideas, too. We bought 10 acres with this vision to build an artist residency program on a working farm. They started raising money. Our mailing list came from our wedding guest list. So that's where that started. Yep, that was our first year-end campaign. Mm -hmm. But Brad and Amanda say they had a lot to learn. We both had nonprofit experience, but we were also like gloriously naive. So like our original budget, I was like, well, in year one, we'll start with $10,000. And then in year two and three, then we'll move up to like the million dollar budget, right? Like. <laughs> Basic uh, nonprofit growth uh, rate. Right. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> while they were developing their own land, they started an artist residency at a cabin in the woods, not too far away from their home. They ran that for seven years. And that was really great. They also started organizing meetups at farms around the area. We had a couple of events. Bringing in experts to lead workshops on things like edible forest gardening, beekeeping, and mushroom cultivation. Our budget was really tiny. Our capacity, it was just the two of us. Brad and Amanda noticed that folks would take some of their workshops over and over, 
And they realized people didn't just want to learn how to do things, they wanted to talk about those things, become hobbyists around those things, form communities around those things. Just like dorky out over. So they launched guilds, groups where people could come and talk about whatever they were interested in. They eventually bought more land and moved the artist residency to their own backyard. Artists stay there, learn to farm and live off the land while they create, and folks from the community come to Crosshatch to swap skills, attend workshops, or meet with the guilds. Over the years, it got easier to raise money for Crosshatch. At some point, we got introduced to federal dollars, and we got really good at writing grants. And easier to organize events for Crosshatch. But it hasn't really gotten any easier to talk about Crosshatch. Amanda brought this art piece and I brought this ecological piece and we smashed them together and it was chocolate and peanut butter and it ended up being this beautiful thing. But we've spent the last 15 years learning how to talk about it. We called it the eye roll factor. Like we would talk about this work we were doing and people would just like look for somebody else at the party to talk to. They were afraid they were stuck in a corner with someone who was not quite there. It does probably feel like being talked to about religion at a party, right? It's like a similar sort of thing where it feels like you're proselytizing to people, I would think. Yeah, it, I think that's, Tommy, that's spot on. Like, it's it's actually led me to think a lot about the church I was raised in and the different ways that people use religion and, and the different offerings that religion has for our lives that idea is really apt for the kind of work that we do too. There's also this feeling like people have left the church in droves, but Crosshatch has offered people some of what they used to get from church, right? Which is this sense of community, a sense of shared purpose, a sense of just being together and in support of each other. And also it's maybe a sense of a higher calling. And one of the things we realized pretty early on was that we could point to it that that it was talking about specific people. We say we support the people who didn't listen to their guidance counselors. And we're really lucky that they didn't because they're some of the smartest, most passionate, most interesting people who are really shaping the culture of the community. And then to realize that this whole broad community vision, this culture change vision, wasn't us telling people what this culture should be and then hoping that they would learn how to do it. It was us going out and seeing all of these little pieces of it already out and around in the community and saying, how can we grow this a little bit? How can we connect you to this other person over here who you haven't met yet? And what's going to happen in that conversation? Speaking of conversations, I went into this one not quite knowing what Crosshatch does, but here's what I've come to understand. It's about appreciating what we have today and preserving it for the future. It's about looking to the past and learning from it, but not trying to return to it. It's about combating climate change by changing the mentality of society one beekeeper at a time. And most importantly, it's about a couple trying to share the love they have with each other and for the world through the work they do every day. It's about making people cry for good reasons. I'm not trying to make people cry, but when they do, we know that we've pushed the right button and we're doing the right thing. They've learned about something that they've wanted to do for a really long time. They've been dreaming about doing this and now they feel like they have the tools that they can do it and they know these other people who know this information too. So they've just built this little community that like they are their people 
and and it can be like a really grounding experience for people and it becomes really emotional yeah i think that initial moment of sort of a deep emotional response to what they're seeing and experiencing is really a, a big win and then when people take something they've learned and make a life from it and you realize that it's become really integral to who they are and how they make their money and how they live up north just there's a feeling like you're giving people tools to live with and that feels like a huge win but explaining to that in an elevator pitch is like we make people cry by having them take mushroom production workshops that doesn't fly yeah it's hard to explain that in an elevator If you would like to learn more about Crosshatch, visit crosshatch.org. Creative Coast is a podcast series brought to you by Traverse Connect, the Grand Traverse Region's economic development organization, and is produced by Maria Byrne and myself through our own little startup podcast company, Heirloom Media, that's spelled A-I-R. Our composer is the incredibly talented Josh Hoisington, a Traverse City local, by the way. This podcast series is made possible thanks to generous support and funding from the Michigan Film and Digital Media Office at Michigan's Economic Development Corporation. You can visit Traverse Connect's website at traverseconnect.com.